Hello, welcome to the Sayers Conversations podcast series. Today, our very special guest is Stuart Gregor, the co-founder of Four Pillars. Enjoy. Uh, welcome to the Sayers Conversation. Uh, I'm really excited, genuinely excited, to be talking to Stuart Gregor. Gregor? Gregor. I'm happy with either. Gregor. You know, know, my family don't even know. Right, G-R-E-G-O-R. Correct. G-R-E-G-O-R. Go, go Mobile, right? <laughs> it sounds like a high school football chant. It, it does, right? So, so Stuart, of course, well, he's most famous uh, these days because he's a founder of Four Pillars Gin, um, which is one of the great Australian business success stories, recent success stories. In fact, probably goes down in history as one of the great stories, so we'll talk about that. But also uh, founder of a business called Liquid Ideas. And Liquid Ideas, you may or may not be aware of this, Stuart, but Liquid Ideas has always been a bit of an inspiration for me on... <laughs> I'm serious. Do you know what? I've always wanted to be an inspiration for you. As Weekend Russell, which exactly. I was once referred to, yeah. I've so, always dreamt of being your inspiration. Yeah. So uh, Stuart was no, is known as Weekend Russell because we do look like we come from the same gene pool. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> and uh, he was, Stuart was called Weekend Russell because he was the funner version of me, right? Or the, he's the fun guy and apparently I'm not the fun guy. Yeah, back when I, when I got my two years on Gruen in, yeah. the, in the early 2000s that's or whatever it, it was. And that's where we met. We met um, on the set of Gruen. Um, and then, of course, have become mates as a result. And I'm really thrilled that you're here, Stu. Well, it's very good to be here, mate. Thank right. you for having me. So we want to talk about business, right? This is the, the purpose of the Sayers Conversation is to talk to people that are successful, talk to them about what they've done well, what they'd like, wish they'd done otherwise. You know, the, we're going to attempt to um, give people some lessons, I suppose, without being too highfalutin about it, like mm. you know, stuff that you know to be true, Uh, stuff that's worked for you that people might go, oh, that might work for me. So Liquid Ideas is how 20 years old? 23 years old. So we started that on the 1st of February 2000. Okay. Out of a a house in Footscray. Okay. So now prior to Liquid Ideas, we'll come on to what Liquid Ideas is in a sec. Prior to that, what did you do? I was a journo. So um, when I left high school, I wanted... I, I, I really wanted to be in the media. I mean, honestly, I probably wanted to play for the Wallabies, let's be honest, or for the Australian cricket team. And, I, you know, I was, I was an okay schoolboy sportsman, but I was never going to make either of those. So mm-hmm. I thought, ah, oh, being a reporter, a, school, uh, a sports reporter, yeah, I'd always, I, I always loved the media, a bit like you. Yeah. Right? I just yep. had, a, a, had a, a love of knowing what's going on, a sense of curiosity. Just a, just I always wanted to be involved and engaged in whatever the hell was going on in the world. And, and for me, as a teenage boy, it was always sport. Right, got it. And so I, I went to News Limited, got a cadetship, disappointed my parents from going to a fancy school and ending up not going to university. And I just got a, I, I got a copy boy job and a right. cadetship. And then, and then I went, I did the backpack thing, you know, and I went over and I started working in pubs in London and, you know, backpacking around Europe and all that sort of stuff. And I discovered wine. I just... <laughs> I I knew having early had, early <laughs> I knew having four or five years at News Corp that I was a reasonable uh, that I could drink yeah. the, the capacity you know <laughs> and then I thought um, I, d- I discovered wine in France and actually you know as you do you get a French girlfriend you li- I, I, I went to university Shut up. I went to university in France for a while right nice. to learn French as a foreign language student because I thought I might want to be a chef yeah nice I can see you doing that no it's too hard okay. Relentless, relentless. It's the world's worst job. Like yeah. the uh, the reason every chef wants to be a TV star yeah, is because they don't want to be a chef. Cooking in a kitchen is a <laughs> fucking disastrously hard job, right? It is 
so hard yeah. and so relentless and so boring and so hot. Yeah. Like actually hot. But you do get to yell at people. I know, but I mean, you can. But if that's. I mean, you know, without wanting to psychoanalyze you, I mean, just yelling at people is not necessarily a, you know, a fulfilling, a fulfilling right. job. It may have been in the 70s or 80s, yeah. but so. Um, but I remember I was I, I met this guy when we were I was I was living in this place it was like a cooking school in Burgundy, and I met the wine guy, yeah. and the wine guy seemed to have so much better job than the the, the, the chef the food guy because yeah. like everyone would come down and have a great jolly time and he would they would taste all these beautiful chardonnays because we were in Chablis you know the region of Chablis yeah. and I'm like I want to be that guy yeah. so I came back and went to the University of Adelaide well actually Roseworthy College which is now part of the University of Adelaide and studied wine. And I kind of used my journalism background yeah. and my wine knowledge at the time and got lucky to get a job here in Melbourne to do PR for a big wine business, Mildara Blast, which had just at the time been bought by Foster's. Yeah, wonderful. Like in the late 90s. Yeah, and so when I think about you um, and the wine business um, and, the, and journalism, of course, it's about storytelling. Yeah. A- and, and sort of the people that my observation – Tell me if this is right, but my observation of people that do well in the wine world is they they have got a great turn of phrase. They're great storytellers. I'm not even sure it's just the wine world because you know if I was if we if we were to talk to about truth in business here and certainly in the in the in the world of business that I've been involved in, which has been essentially built around hospitality, right? Booze, f- f- booze mainly, but also sort of food and travel and all that sort of stuff. But I think storytelling is what differentiates you from everyone else, right? So most Australian winemakers make good wine, right? yeah. whether they're in Gippsland or whether they're in Margaret River or Coonawarra or wherever else. They're, they're, there's, there's not many people who are making bad wine. There are not many people who make, make average gin. But it's your ability to build a story around it. Mm. And by building a story is where you build bias and bias is where you build brand and mm. brand is where you make money and where you can build a, a proper, substantial long-term business so let's go to the end then storytelling what makes great storytellers in the world of business i i, I don't know you know i i i feel like because have uh, you got a formula I, no i don't i don't think anyone has a formula it's like saying does a novelist have a formula like does a well, great writer, some of them would some of them would yeah. but i'm not I, w- I would attest that potentially the great ones don't right? right the great ones might start with a kernel of an idea yeah and be able to build it into a beautiful narrative a yes. great story yeah and I always love storytelling. Like, like I loved reading, I loved writing, and I loved speaking. Yeah. Right. And so I just loved great stories, whether mm. it was whether it was Dickens or, or or whether it was you know Trent Dalton, whatever you know, yeah. some, and, and everything in between. I Chapel. Right. I Chapley. Ian Chapel. Yeah. <laughs> did he write a book, Chapley? <laughs> he did, didn't he? I don't. Yeah. You'll keep Rod Marsh. You'll I, bet keep you, I bet you read that. I loved. Oh my god, I was obsessed with Rod Marsh yeah, as a kid. Yeah, right. Same. I wrote a letter to Rod Marsh when <laughs> yeah. I was in probably. Year one, uh, like uh, what they would say, year seven these days. Right? So, so I was right. a wicket keeper. So was I, right? I was. We were wicket keeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was so. This is weird <laughs> as fuck, isn't it? Sorry, it's were you a drummer? Yeah, no, never oh, a drummer. Well, okay, well, I was a. I played trumpet at school. Okay, well, I gave that a go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and no one liked my trumpet. No one, <laughs> no one liked my trumpet playing, as it happened. Um, but I love wicket keeping. I wrote Rod Marsh a letter when I was in year five, year six, mm. at uh, you know, and he wrote back. Very right, good. Because I said I didn't. I, I was I was having difficulty wicket keeping down the legs. Side He's not to necessarily left. known for his generosity. He's not apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it was always difficult to wicket keep to left handers. Right. I always well, found it depends it, on right. how good you are. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you were better than me. I, mean, you know, I played first eleven. That was about as far as yeah, I yeah. got. But um, for me, storytelling 
it doesn't. Uh, I'm not sure there's a prescription, but 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 what there is is um, there's a tr- truth to it, right? Yeah. You, you, there has to be unless you're a complete and utter genius who can create fiction in your own mm-hmm. head, and that makes you the great novelist or yep. the great right. And I'm not that guy, right? What I can do is find stories that have come from life and stories that I've been able to you know that shared or learned or everything else, and turn them into something fun and also turn them into something relevant. I think one of the things about that, that might make a better storyteller than not is that ability to, to relate and always have that sense that people can feel your story in in that story, right? Yeah. Because uh, I find uh, esoteric and intellectual stories too too much. I like stories that have a, a sense of reality. So have you got and the ab- funniness yeah. and 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 self deprecating? Like I, I love stories that are. That start you thinking, where oh god, he's going to tell another one of those stories about mm. how fucking great he is or how wonderful his business is, and it just yeah. turns into something else. So, have you got the ability to look at an audience and know what's going to appeal? I, maybe I do. Mm. Right, I think it's a rare, uh, uh, and it's a so you shape, you can shape the story, shape the words. Of course, you can, because I think one of the things that you have to be, and this is to be good in business and to be good at storyteller. And, and I'm not talking about a storyteller who sets out one story and says, that's my story. Yeah. Right? I would tell a thousand stories you know, yeah. and, and at, at, a, at, a th- at a million events and everything else. It's being able to read the audience well. I will tell you, okay, we've already gone. If there, was, if there was something linear that we were going to go through, we've already there. gone lateral. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know where we were going. But I'll tell you a story about how you understand the audience. Right? Once, when I was in my early 30s, I was working for Wolf Blass. Remember, Wolf Blass, very famous wine uh, wine brand, and I was doing a wine dinner in Darwin at the race club, at the Darwin Turf Club, right? Wow. And I reckon, I reckon I'm t- uh, 28 or 30, and I'm, and I'm the wine, I'm the communicating guy for wine. So Wolf wouldn't wouldn't go there because he was too famous and old and German, and he, he, he frankly offended people. And yeah. So I'm hosting this dinner, and I'm realised halfway through. These people really don't give a shit about the fruity Chardonnay and the slightly right. tannic Cabernet Sauvignon and the nuances of the of the left side of the hill of the Shiraz. They just didn't care. Yeah. They were there for a good night out. And I was standing up talking about one of the wines. And so now I'd like to introduce you to the two the, the nineteen ninety-three Semillon Chardonnay. Oh. And I got hit by a paper aeroplane. Right, which was the which was the tasting note. Yeah. Right, so one guy Move on the, on on the mate. table <laughs> had thrown a paper airplane and it just clipped me in the head. Mm. And if that's not a signal that your audience is a little disengaged, they well, they to get on with. so you know what I said? I said, so here we go. Right, so you're loving your uh, how good's the wine and everything else. I'm going to take a break now, but in 15 minutes, I want every table to have used this. Tasting note and create a paper airplane, and we're going to have a paper airplane fly yeah, off good. off the stage. Yeah. And whoever wins that gets whatever wine I was going to give away for yeah. the person who guessed which side of the hill it came off. You're going to win all the free wine. That's how you do it in Darwin. And it turned into one of the great nights of all time. Yeah, they put a lot more effort <laughs> into their paper airplanes than they were ever going to do, discerning whether or not the Chardonnay was better than the Semillon or the right. or the Riesling or whatever. And I just think that was an early example that's still stuck in my head. I haven't pulled that out for maybe twenty years. Yeah. Um, of an ability to understand who you're talking to. It, it, it's interesting for me because storytelling, you can see that that's the Sayers logo right there. And so uh, the the why of the quote. Sayers uses yep. the quote marks. And the whole and the whole notion of being a Sayers partner or a Sayers employee, part of the Sayers team, is to become great storytellers. Yep. Because that ought to be how you can differentiate your, your, yourself and differentiate the business 
And what is interesting for me is you then move into liquid ideas because liquid ideas is basically business created to tell stories. But, but we can also, if, if you want to get, you know, a, li- a little more, even deeper into storytelling, storytelling is how we as humans have, to- have shared everything forever. Yeah. Right, and it were the, it was the storytellers who became the leaders of, of, of the tribe and of the pack, right? It was always the storytellers. That's right. The father, the, 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 the tribal leader would be an, an essentially anointed as being the one who would tell the best stories or, or who understood the stories but was able to engage with his audience better than anyone else. And I still think today, the, 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 I mean, it, uh, the people I admire, you know, the people we all admire the most are the great storytellers. And they can be in... I don't mean novelists and I don't mean playwrights, mm. but there are great storytellers in sport. There are great storytellers occasionally in, 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 in politics and business, but people who can really resonate and um, it's, it's that ability to communicate your message, what right. you're trying to say yeah. to people in a way that um, so many stories are told poorly. And as soon as someone tells a story beautifully That's or right. evocatively, you go, fuck, pardon me about the swearing. Um, <laughs> how good is that story? I'm, I'm, I'm having a little cheeky, cheeky uh, uh, gin uh, here. Uh, but four pillars but gin, magnificent. Yeah, we are having a four pillars gin, but Liquid Ideas was a, was a business builder around storytelling. Right, yeah. So um, Yuval Noah Harari, so he wrote Sapiens. Yep. Have you read Sapiens? No. It's really interesting. So Sapiens is, what, 600 pages of, you know, the history of humanity. It actually gets down to the difference between us and the rest is storytelling. Right. So when you when you read that book, I certainly left that book re- thinking, well, um, okay, what are brands about? Brands are ultimately that skill, yep. that, that skill to create pictures in people's brains about something which is, you know, one line is another one really, right? So to yep. create the picture. So liquid ideas, am I right in thinking that the, the idea from the very beginning was to sort of put theatre around booze? Yep, and, and more, more specifically around wine. Right, we hadn't even really thought about spirits or beer at that stage. Okay, but because I'd learned a bit about wine, all I wanted to do is tell stories about winemakers, because they were not they were they were often good craftsmen, mm. and they were often good um, m- men and women of the land. Right, a lot of them were farmers who then made uh, grew grapes, made something, stuck it in a bottle, and then just thought, well, that, that's it. So Dave, I'm done. And our job was to tell the story of what they did yeah. and why their story is better than other people's stories and then try to help them sell it. Okay, so day one of Liquid Ideas was a PR firm for wine? Correct. PR. Well, day one of Liquid Ideas, I didn't turn up because I'd been to the Chemical Brothers <laughs> at the Metro <laughs> on Burke Street. <laughs> <laughs> so day two. <laughs> and so my former business partner <laughs> yeah. has never forgiven me. <laughs> Where is he? Okay, so day one, PR. Let's just call it, at a simple level, PR for wine. Yes. So uh, 23 years later, Liquid Ideas is what? Still going, still going. So it's still a PR, it's still a t- story... Telling business, it does wine, it does booze. I mean, it does some of the big alcohol business. It does Canadian Club and One Nine Six, some of the really big brands that are really growing and going yeah. fantastically well in Australia at the moment. Does uh, works for Four Pillars, works for Singapore Airlines, works for you know small hospitality groups like Maryvale um, <laughs> in Sydney, <laughs> a little yeah. humble yeah. humble restaurateurs, <laughs> you know, um, and it does really well. You know, there's only twenty odd staff yeah, there. Perfect. We've got a terrific little uh, terrific MD and uh, and great stuff. My wife still works in the business. Yeah. Do you um, do, you do d- design? No. no. Do you no. do? We will event? work with designers. Uh-huh. We do events. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We we will social obviously. So we do social events. Um, we will help smaller businesses create their uh-huh. brands, but we'll bring in 
designers. But uh-huh. we, you know, we have a little in house design capacity, but not something where we were going to say, right, we're going to create the whole brand for X. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will do um, old fashioned. You know what? Twenty years ago, uh, I remember sitting in a in a in a meeting with someone at Cartland United Beverages down here, and they were saying, "Well, so what? Do, you know, give me the pitch of Liquid Ideas." And I said, "You know what Liquid Ideas does? We influence the influencers." Yeah. And this was before the term influencer yeah. existed. I can imagine. I would love to have. Uh, copyrighted yeah, yeah. the term influencer because I, I feel like I created it. <laughs> because what I was saying is anyone who influences um, uh, decision making in your category or so and, and it I think people used to think oh that was just the guy who wrote the, the, the uh, that's a guy on the radio station or it's the guy who who is the um, the wine writer for the Australian or whatever and I said no but other people can influence decision making the guy who buys the wine for the restaurant or the guy who who Runs the wine club in the you know for the for the big corporate you know there's there's so many people who could influence people's thinking about wine. Mm. We need to think more broadly than it's just a PR firm yeah. where we need to just talk to the media, right? And I think that's what made us interesting in the early days was we thought more broadly about what influence was. So um, I said at the start of the podcast that I I admired the good ideas, um, be- and the reason why I admired it was because you managed to carve out a business with competitors. Uh, under the one roof. Um, so being an ad guy, the notion of actually having a competitor, that, that was just not possible. <laughs> so, so that's the main reason so you liked it. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, how could we do that? Totally. <laughs> that, that's exactly the reason why. So the, the notion of becoming a specialist and yes. having a vertical and yeah. as a result of being seen as the very best in that vertical yeah. and then you could build out from there. I mean, uh, was that was that the strategy or you sort of, it just happened? Look, it, it did just happen and, and, and it, it worked for a while until you ended up having the two biggest brands who were the biggest competitors against each other. Right, right? So at that point they go. We did blow up. So what blew up is, and this is in the early 2000s, probably 2005 or 2006, where we were working for Bundy Rum mm. and VB. Yeah. And I would always tell them that they're... they're different mouths? They're different. Yeah. <laughs> right. No. no. <laughs> different, 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 different times consumers? of the day? No. <laughs> right. so so different times of the day? <laughs> yes. Well... <laughs> Necessarily, <laughs> if you're if you're if you're anywhere from sort of northern Queensland down to central Victoria, you know the VB or the Bundy because Bundy and Coke, you know, that is they're essential competitors because they're competing for what at that time was the the middle Australian male yeah. drinker, yeah, right. And I would I was trying to tell both the guy from Diageo and the guy from CUB that no, they're not competitors, and eventually they caught up to me yeah. and said. Mm. Okay, you've got to work for one or the other. Okay, but nonetheless, Liquid Ideas was doing work for yeah, and we still are today. We're still mm. doing stuff for Canadian Club. We're still doing some wine brands. We're, yeah, I mean, I don't want to blow your cover. I'm just saying, I think this is an awesome part of what you it's created. A, it, it is. It's a fantastic specialist yeah. business. Yeah, um, and I think it, it shows that you can go deep as well as wide. And right. I think um, I think it's difficult at times to have too many competitors in the one set. Like we've always had a bit of an issue once we get to a certain critical mass. And I think once you become well enough known yeah. that you represent four pillars, yeah. for instance, it's difficult for another Australian gin brand to... Unlikely. To, to come into your portfolio. Yeah, they're not going to, are they? No, because I'm going to stop them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, another contradiction. <laughs> so Liquid Ideas... Is, yeah, sorry, I'm, I want to get on to four pillars now. So four mm. pillars, um, what a story. It, it is... It's only what seven or eight years ago you did 10. it. 
10 years ago. 10 years ago uh, in December 2023. And uh, one of, uh, genuinely one of the great stories of my life was actually seeing you in the reception at a hotel in Brisbane <laughs> the day you didn't have a mortgage anymore. You were the first person who found out. I cried yeah. in the taxi cab going That's from right. Brisbane Airport to the Khalil, Khalil, I never yeah. know quite how to pronounce it, Khalil, mm. hotel, and I was at an... Um, at a loose end because I, uh, I'd gone up there for a commitment for work and we had literally signed the deal to sell the first yeah. half of Four Pillars. Yeah. It was March 2019 and I walked into that check-in area, the Beautiful. reception, mm-hmm. and I saw you of all people. Yeah. How good. And I almost wept on your shoulder. <laughs> I said, I don't know what you're doing tonight, but I'm going to shout you dinner and we're going to drink some really beautiful bur- burgundy. Remember we, we drank some grape wine? <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to shout. And then through the course of the dinner, I was able to say, don't tell anyone, but this is what's happened. Yeah. And yeah, it was I, a beautiful, and, and it was a beautiful I was night. I was thrilled for you because you did it far. You did it very quickly. I mean, I think six, that was... That was six years in. Yeah. I mean, to, to go from zero yep. um, and... The, the the listeners that haven't been to Hillsville to see what is there now, yeah, it's I mean good. that site is just again in ten years, the speed with which you did it is is quite incredible. So what do you put it down to? I think um, uh, well it starts with ambition. I think we we didn't start thinking that we just want to make a nice little craft Aussie mm. gin brand. We started thinking um, how are we going to make the world's best gin from Australia. Right, and that's a fairly big, you know, you talk about big hairy goals or whatever yeah. those things are, boat bags or whatever they co- talk about in in in, in consulting world, world. marketing <laughs> consulting, big hairy <laughs> ambitious goals or whatever they're called. Big. I've never seen right. it ever, <laughs> never. Good, good. Nor should you. I don't even know what it is, but there's an acronym there, right? But so, um, and and I remember Cameron and I, who was my co-founder, you know, and he's a very ambitious and driven and smart mm. guy, and uh, um, he and I started talking about what could we do with. Like, why couldn't Australia make the world's yeah. best gin? And then we had a, a third founder, a guy called Matt Jones, who'd come out of um, it, come out of New York at the time, yes. right? So he was working for Jack Morton in New York, which yeah. for mo- most people don't know what Jack Morton is, business. but a massive business that does a lot of experiential stuff and a lot of activation, and like for huge businesses, like for Ford and for and for yeah. Samsung, and right, and and so he knew, um, and he'd come from like a like a political background, so he had a different way of thinking about mm. things as well, and. We were very lucky that... Uh, so what I put it down to is the fact that the three founders all had sort of explicit skills that they were really strong at, but uh, but they were exactly what you needed. You needed someone who had a who was able to make really good booze. Right, that's Mackenzie. Right. That's Mackenzie, right? Yep. And, like, we didn't know at the time that he was going to end up being as he is today, which is probably the world's best gin distiller. Yeah. Right, that. Yeah. Didn't expect that. But if you look now, because in, in hindsight, with retrospect, everyone is, a, is, is wise, right? One of the things about distilling is, is, is complete and utter discipline, mm. right? The ability to get up every day and make that gin every bit as good as yesterday's gin and precision yeah. and precise and never miss a session, right? Yeah, and he yeah. was an Olympic athlete. Yeah, yeah. Right? And one of the things that I, in hindsight, think about him is his ability to do things perfectly focus every time and focus focus was incredible yep. and matt was this digital guru brainiac way before digital guru brainiacs were a thing got it right and he was talking to so us he about was modern crowd funding right he was modern media before yeah, he was modern, modern media before it yeah. even existed because yeah. he worked in new york for funky agents and everything else and my job was storytelling yes. and connections right and yeah. i knew 
enough people in everywhere from the media to the booze trade to the to the to the yep. um, to the hoteliers. So your network else. was the asset. I was a network guy. So, so right. the network plus the ability to tell the story, tell the and story, engage, engage. Just people. So four pillars. The name. Where's that from? Doesn't come from anything. It was a no. drink. It was a drinking game. I mean, we retrofitted all sorts of things yeah. around four pillars, but yeah. it was a drinking game that Cameron and I used to play. Just. Down here in Melbourne, actually, just down by Fed Square. <laughs> yeah, the and four pillars of humanity, yeah, yeah. which we don't need to talk about now. <laughs> and the um, and the bottle itself. There's nothing proprietary about the bottle. Well, uh, there is now, yeah, yeah. But it, but originally it was just off the shelf, was it not? No, no, no. We, we <laughs> originally, if uh, so, uh, I don't think I've told this story. But so there's a Espelon tequila, right? There's a tequila brand that yeah. you. Uh, that, that I'm looking at the young man here rather That's than Freddy. the old bloke. I haven't I'm introduced you to Freddie, which is Freddy actually I, I normally would have introduced Freddie at the start yeah. of the podcast. Apologies, Freddie. Freddie the young bloke has heard of Espelon tequila, yeah, right. Mm, Sort of Day of the Dead sort of label and all that sort of stuff. Oh yes, I know. And if you were to look at it now, you go, "Gosh, that bottle looks a lot like the Four Pillars bottle." Uh, We were sitting in a bar in Sydney, and we were like, "What's the bottle going to look like? Is it going to be tall and skinny, or is it going to be short and fat, or is it going to be whatever?" And I just literally, I still remember looking at the the Mm. the back bar, um, and I went, "I quite like that bottle there." And I said to the bartender, "Can you just bring me that bottle there?" Mm -hmm. And it was Espelon tequila. And I said, right, well, so we'll just take, I'll go and buy a bottle of that. We'll take it along to the designer. We'll get them to design a bottle that's similar enough shape but won't get us into legal trouble. Uh-huh. And that's the Four Pillars bottle. Okay, and because a, the A bottle shape is potentially proprietary. Yep. Most, most of them are in the, in the alcohol. Not, obviously, a bottle of wine is a bottle of wine in the main. Yeah, I mean, there are certain things. Well, so you know what? You know how hard it is to protect yes. a shape. You need to be able to protect the shape, the brand, and everything else. So to create a, a, that the shape bottle of Johnny Walker with those four sides might be difficult. Like if you mm. came out with, but I have seen bottles that look a lot like the Johnny Walker. I'm thinking of like the most proprietary looking bottle would be. You know, I don't think. Yes, yeah, so the Bombay Sapphire, the mm. blue. Mm. So they may register the blue and yep. the shape and everything else. But you've got to you know, you've got to have it all locked up with the logo and everything else. Mm. So there's no reason you can't have a blue bottle, but you probably but how can't have a beautiful. Blue. I mean, I've always sort of I've always loved the idea of design in bottles. So you must have enjoyed doing that. Yeah, I mean, great fun. I mean, d- designing um, designing anything is, is fun, yeah. particularly as if you're someone like me who can't design anything. So being <laughs> in the company of designers, right. like actual artists. Where did you get the bottle made? To China, but right. it's now made in France. Okay, uh, and it will soon be um, it will soon be produced in Australia. Okay, so the but let's get back to the, um, I saw you at the Khalil. We had a lovely bottle of Burgundy. <laughs> so that was fifty percent. Yep, five years ago. Yep, uh, yep. four and a half. Four and a half. Yep. Four and a half. yep. 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 So so that's pretty quick. Yep. Uh, and then now, uh, so Lion now right. has so yes. so the Lion machine. Yes. Um, they are going to what? What are they going to do with it? Uh, they're going to make. I hope they're going to make it better and bigger and more successful. I mean, that's the whole. That's the dream, isn't it? The dream is that you create something beautiful and successful, and you've done that. That grows and employs lots of people, and you got rid of your mortgage. Yeah, you get rid of your mortgage, then you buy another house, and you get rid of that one as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's good, right? And and then you hope that you know you've uh, over the course, then you've employed a couple of hundred people incredible and you've got a bunch of people at Hillsville and a whole lot of people in Sydney and then you've got some outliers in you know in Singapore and Mm -hmm. we've got some staff in Singapore and the UK and the US and New Zealand and you hope that they all now get to have this sort of second part of the journey they've had a decade so we've had a decade doing it Lion I think will likely 
um, like Lion is a massive business in New Zealand, for instance, right? So, you know, because they're originally that's their heartland. Lion, that's their heartland, right? Mm-hmm. So they're Steinlager, mm-hmm. DB, Lion. Um, but they also distribute their... Brawley? Was Brawley? Ron Brawley might have been. I'm not sure we talk about Ron Brawley anymore because okay. it was that thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, no, he was the... Um, he wasn't. You no, know, he was the other... Um, started with an A, that uh, business out of New Zealand. But okay. um, Move on. they have a massive business in New Zealand. So they were able in June, July to put an order for New Zealand in that was more than we had sold in the six years prior in New Zealand. Amazing. Just filling filling their, their pipeline of their sales into New Zealand. Uh, some years ago now, at least, well, probably 20 years ago, I was speaking to the uh, fabulous business, businessman, Victor Smorgan. Yep. Um, and he was probably well into his 80s by now, and he said to me, do you know why you start a business, Russell? Russell, do you know why you start a business? No, Victor, why? To sell it, so it's always resonated with me. Was yeah, that yeah. so? Th- but this must have been a tension for you, because you've created a beautiful baby, which is obviously returning returning to shareholders. So in the end, in the end, you're selling the, right. You've created it to sell it. That decision yeah. must have been difficult. I'm sure. So uh, far be it for me to disagree with Victor Small. Well, I'm only using that as an yeah, anecdote. To I don't think we ever said it. To sell, I don't. I, I think it's really hard to go into business from day one, like to to, to, to go into entry mm. with exit as your first thought. Well, a lot of people will. Yeah, I know they will, and I just think that's that. I, I think that's fa- mm. false. Yeah, I think that. I, I reckon that's a. They're, they're missing a trick there, because the minute you're in it to exit, it sh- your motivations are all skewed i reckon right. because you're starting to make decisions based on how will this look to a prospective buyer rather than making decisions around how am i going to grow my beautiful business that i love and want to be in like maybe i didn't think i'd be in it forever right. but i didn't go in it. like we never told a single investor in our business and we had 20 investors in our yeah. business right yeah. and they didn't put a lot of money in each yeah. but we never st- told them we have a six to ten year exit strategy that yeah. will get you four times your money, right? That's just that was never the business. It was like we sold it to them as a horse racing syndicate. Yeah. Yeah. Which is you're gonna have a heap of fun. Uh, you put your, your your coin in, you might get a return, you'll get a lot of free gin. Yeah. And one day if we were to sell it, like one day if this if this cult were to turn into a, a stud, you know, we yeah. might be able to sell it to Godolphin and all of a sudden You've made hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was, ne- I mean, I find, I, and I see a lot of young guys, young guys and go- girls, young people, um, who are obsessed with their exit strategy before they've even yes. started building their business. Yep, I, I agree. And I reckon that's 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 fucked up. <laughs> <frankly>. <laughs> so the other thing which I uh, again observing. You weren't you weren't shy at um, <laughs> it's like two old grey bearded yeah. blokes yeah. talking about the wisdom. Yeah, of, uh, you weren't shy the though at, of the youth at <laughs> investing at putting at putting the money back into the thing. Yeah. Um, so capital investment was like all it felt like almost from day one. It was, it was. I mean, we were never. I mean, we were never going to give anyone an, uh, a return or or a dividend un- un- unless we sold it, right? right. So. Because you just have to, as, a, as a, any small business owner will know, you just have to continually reinvest in the business. And the reason we sold that first half relatively quickly is because we wanted to build Hillsville, and that was going to cost, that's a multi-million yeah. dollar development that we were going to uh, struggle to fund ourselves without either 
selling a whole lot more shares to people, diluting everyone's value in the business. So it, the, the easiest option was to say, well, we'll, give, we'll sell 50% to a business like Lion, yeah. take a big chunk of money from them, give some money back to all of our mm. um, investors and founders, but also take, let's call it $5 million as yes. a, a, yep. a, just a number, yep. and put that straight into developing Healesville. Yeah. Because we knew if we were going to have – like, if, if I've just come back from Ireland, right, literally t- two weeks ago. If you're going to build – I reckon a great world class drinks business. You have to have you need to home have a great base. home. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just went to Guinness. Yeah, I just good. went to Jamison. Unbelievable. And I went to Teeling. Yeah, right? all oh, glorious. But the experience, like the the the, yeah. the experience that you get there, the smell, Guinness, yeah. is mind blowing. Yeah, it is. Right? They have one point seven million visitors a year. Jeez. Right. I spoke to the guy who. So the guy who now runs Lion in Australia <laughs> yeah. used to run Guinness in Ireland. Mm. Guinness in Ireland, like Guinness in that square mile around St. James, where that is the seventh biggest market for Guinness in the world. <laughs> yeah. If it were a nation, it would be bigger than like Australia. It would be bigger than Australia. Right? Yeah. And that's just the square mile around where the distillery is. But the experience, yeah. the story, look, the storytelling. Yeah. Like well, the, their creativity uh, the over a hundred years, really. But but ju- but even Teeling, right, which is only a distillery that's been uh, mm. that's younger than Four Pillars, yeah, right, which is a little Irish whiskey distillery yep. right in the heart of the um, of of um, of Dublin. Their storytelling was just so brilliant, right? <laughs> I just and they had great. Um, they had sort of street art murals on the wall. They had great storytelling about how their how their whiskey matures. Like we could learn a lot of lessons about that because it really builds that emotional connection to a brand mm. that builds bias. Yep. They're also unbelievable at merch. The <laughs> Irish, I've decided. Yeah, they are. Guinness, yeah, mate. Guinness merch, <laughs> yeah, is out of this world. Well, the thing, uh, the thing about, let's say, if I, you're willing I to wear a brand on your chest, yeah, that's right. That's that's when you love a brand, yeah. The craft, the craft of the merch, but the the craft yeah. of their creativity is mm. just next level. And the Irish, are, and so even Jamison, which is owned by Pernod Ricard, yeah. So it's a, it's owned by the French, but Jamison, you know, in Bow Street, and, and they own half, they own a lot of the Irish distilling business yeah. now. The, the the French, even their storytelling is is. Is fantastic. So if I think about Guinness, one of the underlying pillars, you know, in a brand sense is, you know, the, the notion of it's worth the weight. Yeah. Yeah, which is really clever, obviously, on uh, lots of levels. So I'm just thinking... But so you know most people don't even like Guinness? I, I, yeah, yeah. Right, I, that's I, the thing. It, it's yeah. not even... It's I, it was like in the old days, you've got to force yourself to like, you know, whatever... And yeah, you definitely fought. When I was living in the UK, I forced myself to become a Guinness drinker. I know, but what a str- what, what sort of level of as a as a brand owner? Yeah. What sort of incredible brand do you have yep. where you where you want to participate? Oh, where everyone wants to be. They they, they don't like it's it's beautiful to create a drink like a, a ready to drink something with ginger beer and vodka in it, and everyone goes, "Oh my god, it's delicious!" Yeah. Right straight away. Yeah. Guinness is a hard slog to get to like Guinness. Yeah, you've got to do a lot of practice. And it's and it's on its own. Like, there aren't other Guinnesses. No. It's also, I, I think, it's something that is, uh, something about it is it does contribute to a different drinking culture. Yep. So the idea that you and I might go to a pub and have a pint of Guinness and we actually might spend an hour yep. having over that, that pint. Over yeah. that pint. Well, the and first 45 minutes is waiting for the Guinness to come. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but it's worth the wait. Right, there we go. But I think that there's something interesting about that, the, the well, different cultures and different drinking. And habits. one of the other things I love about Guinness, right? So, you know, Guinness is one of its iconic images is the toucan. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
It's an it's an you know the toucan, which is a which is a bird. Oh, I have it in my mind. Which is Absolutely. a bird that is indigenous to like Central America. Yeah, yeah. Right, it has no relevance. Is it and like I Madagascar or something. Yeah, yeah, it has no relevance to, to Guinness whatsoever. No, but someone somewhere someone somewhere just thought right yep. the Guinness is going to be the toucan. Yeah. Right, and I thought it might be a funny play cans. on words. Yes, I thought mm. it was a play on words. It had nothing to do mm. with the play on words. It was no. way before cans were even a thing. Yeah. And I'm like. Remember That's that. Brilliant. Remember that innovation. The little the nitri- widget. The widget. The, that was the widget. Called a widget. Yeah. yeah the, the nitrogen bomb yep. on the, at the bottom. The little bulb in the bottom wasn't yeah. that genius. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're they have s- never stopped innovating, even though they only have one product. Yeah. Well, your innovation, of course, was from the beginning, um, where like it's seemingly year one of four pillars. Of course, you, you're traveling beautifully, but you're straight into innovation. Was again yeah. my impression. Yeah. Right? And so. Was that because you wanted more stories to tell? I think you needed two things, right? So I think uh, to run parallel with all your stories to tell has to be product to drink, right? Because at the end of the day, you, you can't just default across the storytelling. You still have to be able to produce great products all the time. And so one of the things that we realised, well, one of the things that we started thinking right from the beginning is that not everyone likes gin, right? And mm. in fact... Not a lot of people like gin. Yeah. And in fact, when we started, most people thought gin was something that their yes. mum drank. It's not a big Australian drink. It was beef. If you go back 10 years ago. Yeah, correct. Or yeah. 15 years ago, right? So 10 years ago when we started, mm. gin was not really a thing. So we said, right, we need more than one gin. Right? Because let's say a group of four driving up the, up, up the Maroondah Highway to Hillsville, it, one or potentially two of them are not going to like gin. So they may not choose to come and visit us. They'll go, oh, we'll go to the winery instead. Right, but they go no, no, no. We'll go to the gin distillery because mm. you know I love gin. And, they, and, and the driver, the driver or the other guy goes, "Ah, oh, gin's not for me." Right. But what if we have a gin that's matured in oak barrels? It tastes a bit like whiskey, <laughs> right? And so we can say to that guy, "Right, okay, you don't like gin. What about this gin that's matured in wine barrels from the Yarra Valley, especially for you?" And his eyes light up. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, Oh, I never thought I liked Shiraz. gin before. What about the gin? Oh, the Shiraz. bloody Shiraz. Gin, How right? good was the Shiraz? So the bloody Shiraz gin, gin was probably the innovation that yeah. Exploded four pillars, right? right? I get it. Yep. Which is Cameron's idea yeah. that came out of a combination of um, um, old theft. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. It's called <laughs> passing yeah, off the great Australian <laughs> tradition of stealing someone else's thing. We were we were making the gin in a winery, right? And a mate and a, a Rob Dolan's winery, and he had a little bit of leftover Shiraz, and we went, "What would happen if we poured gin all over the Shiraz?" Yeah. Right, we could make we like a liquory yeah. type gin. It could be purple. You could stick it in a bottle and you could sell it. Yeah, and all of a sudden now we would sell half a million bottles of it a year. <laughs> yes. Right, and it was loosely based on a thing called slow gin, which the English used to make, which we didn't like because it was too sweet. And, and we're like, we and slow berries. You know, we don't grow slow berries, mm. so we're like, we could make a Shiraz gin. Well, this right. is all Cameron's genius, not mine. Right, I mean, I've obviously take. I'll take as much. <laughs> I'll take as much credit for it as I, for, as I can. Um, but it was my wife who actually came up with the name. And I think the name Bloody Shiraz Gin also resonated yeah. as such a quintessentially Australian name, mm. right? And that was because I was trying to come up with a fancy, because I'm a bit of a wine wanker, and I was trying to come up with a fancy wine name. And we were talking about um, Sanya. Th- th- so when you bleed um, the colour out of a grape to make like a rosé, they call it in French, they call it Sanya, to bleed. And Sangiovese... Right, which is the great grape variety of, 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 of Florence and Tuscany, is the 
blood of Jesus, Sangio Vezzi. So you wanted right. to call it? I, I had blood in my mind, right? uh, bleeding, uh, bleeding blood. Blah, blah, blah. And my wife just walked past me without me understanding the references about bleeding. And she's like, oh, fuck, it's just a bloody Shiraz gin. <laughs> <laughs> that is genius. Yeah. And I think the name helped us because it was a little bit rude. Yeah, totally. Totally irreverent. Yeah. But a serious bottle of booze. Uh, yeah, and, and all, people and, loved it. And it looked different. Yeah. Right? It was completely, it, it was a the, category of one. Yeah, the clear bottle, of course, played a massive uh-huh. role, I think, in part of the attraction of the, of the brand. Now, Fred, as I said, that's Freddie. Hi, Freddie. So what I, what I like to do at the end of these things is just make sure that, you know, Freddie might have a question, one or two questions for you. Uh, before we get to Freddie. Different generation. You yeah, mean. yeah, well, that's right. Well, for the uh, under 40s. <laughs> Freddie's a good one. I've got a, they've got a business. Yeah. How old were you when you started um, Liquid, uh, Ideas. Liquid Ideas? Uh, 30, 29? Yeah, there we go. Well, he's 25 when he started yeah. this thing. Probably younger, 24. Uh, 22. 22 when they started. Uh, yeah. See, the, 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 the precociousness annoys me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Freddie, Freddie, I forgot what I was going to ask you. Have you got something there? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, when I was uh, researching you earlier today, uh, I saw there was a, a, a hot take you were supporting on LinkedIn uh, about the wine industry getting greedy uh, to the exclusion, greedy with their pricing to the exclusion of young people. Um, How good is that? That happened yesterday. So that was a guy that I know exactly the story you're talking about. It was yeah. written in America. I thought it was, it was such a good take, and I thought there it is. Did you read the piece? Yeah, 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 I read yeah. the piece. Um, so, what what are some of your predictions as to how the incumbents over the coming sort of ten years? Good. Are going to try and recover yeah. that. So audience. one of the well, so so let's talk about wine. So wine is where I came from, and wine is one of the, my true st- still great loves. And the wine industry is so infinitely frustrating because it's just still so yeah old fashioned, yeah, and there yeah. are still so many sort of mores that exist across wine that make it Im- impregnable to the average person. And and there's also a pathological lack of fun in wine, right? Because wine, there was a picture... Uh, um, so this story was written by a guy called David Driscoll, actually, who's, a, yes. who's an American guy who uh, used to run a bunch of liquor stores in the, on the West Coast and now consults to a whole bunch of distilleries and wineries. And he gets frustrated because wine just wants to do things like wine has always done things. And, and one of the things when we started four pillars is we would think what would a wine brand do and we would do exactly the opposite right yeah yeah yeah. right because the other thing is that a sommelier a wine is always the sommelier with a fucking tie and everything that's one of the reasons why natural wine has become as popular as it is because it it just throws all the wine shit out the window right and it does everything as mucky and dirty and random and whack as as it can and that's why i love it right i don't love all of the wines because i'm an old white conservative male who struggles with the volatile acidity and all the weird things in those, but I love their attitude, right? They're yeah. punk rock when everyone else is middle of the road, bloody. Mm. I, um, think what's, I think it's interesting is the booze pricing, um, uh, you know, beer yeah, and pricing. wine, and wine has priced itself out of the market. It has, right? Right? Yeah. It, uh, you make Freddie, you're making me think about Maccas. If you go back to, I don't know, let's say late '80s, Maccas wasn't doing as well as it had in the past, and then they worked out that the percentage of a the percentage of a burger as a percentage of available income had increased. Yeah. So they created the McValue meal. Yep. Yeah, and obviously the rest is history because they they did a brilliant job at reconfiguring the value of Maccas in the consumer's head. I think wine, it's like, what are you doing? It, 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 it's <laughs> good wine. So good wine is, is out of reach of anyone who's not mega wealthy, yeah. right? Um, and, uh, you know... 
I've done all right, and even now I'm thinking that I can't afford the wine. The wines that I liked when I was younger, I can't afford to buy anymore. <laughs> right. right? How fucking ridiculous is yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how can Grange be eight hundred and yes fifty dollars a bottle? Like mm. that's like there, there are there are no mechanics that equate to that. Like people aren't who used to earn fifty thousand dollars are now mm. not earning eight hundred thousand dollars. Right, which is where the pricing's gone that's from where I saw it when it was $80 right. when I was a kid. It's now $800. I, right? I, I think so about beer in that context. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I haven't seen the numbers, I'm sure that beer as a percentage of disposable income has skyrocketed. Yeah, not skyrocketed. Wine has skyrocketed. Beer has increased. Uh-huh. So craft beer has changed everything, right? Because right. craft beer is now more expensive. But one of the things you'll find is the commercial beer has not increased that much as a percentage of your okay. pocket. Okay. But nowadays we buy a 16 pack of fancy craft beer for 80 bucks. Yeah. Like that's, that's a lot. lot. That's that, a lot. That is a lot. That's yeah. a lot. Do you know what right. I saw the other day? I saw a bag of wine. <laughs> I didn't think that's what you were going to say, but bag of wine <laughs> a good yeah. A, a bag of wine. And I hang, what do you mean a, like a like a bladder, like a goon like, bag. like in the old days, back into you know, cool cask, cask. Yeah, man, yeah. it has never gone away, Russ. I, I don't know. I just because you're you're living in Hawthorne <laughs> and you know your Melbourne football club oh. fans, we've all been drinking goons I've forever. Been, mate. I haven't seen a cooler bar for a long time. Where yeah. do you find your cooler, cooler bar? bar. Uh, 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 uh. Exactly, yeah. one of the great ads of all time. Where's wine on television? Hasn't been on television for a long hasn't time. Hasn't been on television forever. I yeah. mean. I hate to say it, Russ, but no one's on television anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know the television advertising is still your thing. It's but fascinating, no, isn't it? No one's on TV anymore. That's not true that no, no one's on TV well, anymore. Okay, so Harvey, well, ask, Harvey Norman's on TV. Yeah, and, well, um, let's ask the retailers, how are you going to go Christmas without television, <laughs> right? They, they're going to say, not so well. Right? <laughs> I don't know anyone. I, I don't even watch television anymore. Like free to air? T- are you talking free to air television? Of course, you watch television. I watch. No, I watch. I watch Netflix. I watch Stan. I watch yeah. Binge. Yeah. So what are you doing? What, what are you doing to? to Where support? are my ads? What are you doing to support the advertising industry then? Nothing. I, my, my job isn't out here to fucking hand feed the advertising industry who for forty years fed off the fat of the land. Like honestly, you've done okay. You don't need me to help you. It's been. <laughs> Stuart Gregor, <laughs> it's been great talking to you. We've, I've loved it. I knew I was going to love it. Uh, this has been a sales conversation with Stuart Gregor, found one of the founders of the unbelievable success story that is Four Pillars. Congratulations on that. And the fact that Liquid Ideas, 24 years later, correct, is still going and going strong, that is a credit to you and your colleagues. Good on you, mate. Thanks for having me, Russ. Thanks, Freddie. Cheers. <laughs>